1: working
0: together to solve some of the biggest challenges as humans that we're facing, which will create brand new industries and, you know, augment our daily life and and the relationships and interactions we have with technology. This is Humane, a weekly podcast focused on bridging the gap between humans and machines in this age of acceleration. My name is David Jacobovich, and on this podcast, I interview experts in sociology, psychology, artificial intelligence, researchers on consumer-facing products, and consumer-facing companies to help audiences better understand AI and its many capabilities. If you like the show, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Humane Podcast. My name is David Jacobovich, your host, and with us today is Samir Maskey, a good friend and colleague of mine in New York City. He's the founder of Fuse Machines and the new Fuse AI Fellowship, as well has been teaching with Columbia University for over the past six years. Welcome to the podcast, Samir.
2: Thank you for having me, David. Glad to be here.
0: Thank you so much, and as a fellow colleague in New York, we're both involved very much in AI and research and education, and I know this year uh, your organization's been launching this new Fuse AI Fellowship, and I was part of one of the first cohorts with the Fuse Machines Fellowship. Why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about what this is about?
2: Sure. So we recently launched Fuse.ai Scholarship Program, where we announced scholarship for 10,000 students from underserved communities around the world and here in the United States. The motivation is uh, we believe talent is everywhere and there are equally talented people everywhere who may not get opportunities to get into the really good schools and get into really good AI training. So for a lot of uh, students who have not gotten an opportunity, we have created a scholarship program where we provide the scholarship to get trained up in AI here in the U.S. and from developing countries. And as a target, we have announced a scholarship for 10,000 students to be able to get trained in uh, AI.
0: I think it's so amazing what your organization is doing to, in essence, bridge the gap between humans and machines. And... Can you tell me more about some of the countries that these students are from? And the, and the reason I ask that is everyone today thinks, oh, AI, it's it's a race between the United States and China, but is it going on elsewhere?
2: At the highest level from the, the density of uh, AI engineers, I guess, United States and China are the ones who have a lot of AI engineers. For us, what we are focused on is more than any particular country, we are more focused on where are the underserved communities who could, uh, where if we are able to train even 10 engineers, it could fundamentally make a difference in that community. So we are running these scholarship program in Nepal, in United States, uh, Dominican Republic, and Rwanda. And we plan to add more countries in the coming months and years.
0: I think it's great that you're adding more countries. And part of it's been the mission that um, smear and his team's worked on is democratizing AI. I've I've actually attended a democratize AI uh, meetup in New York and it's uh, fantastic to see that you know, AI should be a global opportunity for all humans to participate in. You know, particularly with the new Fuse AI scholarship, the material is very in-depth, right? It focuses on advanced algorithms in different Python packages, very technical so that someone can be hands-on and uh, do damage with this, right? They could actually create solutions, create production, and solve problems. And You know, another question that I'm I'm interested in uh, for you is, you know, on one hand, the Fuse AI scholarship is teaching all the code and the fundamentals for engineers to, you know, be involved in the industry. And on the other hand, the products offered by your startup Fuse Machines is very much about, you know, how can your organization bridge the gap by building AI solutions? So, The question really is, is where do you see the industry going? Is it a code-based where everyone codes philosophy? Or also companies bridging that gap for those who may not have those technical skills today?
2: Yeah, I think so. There are a lot of companies that are trying to build AI systems and there are not enough AI talent. So uh, as the AI gets commoditized more and we build platforms... There will be companies that provide solutions with uh, software and services such as us, where we come in and say, this is what you need, uh, this is what you are looking for, or this is the problem that you're trying to solve, so here's a few pieces of modules that we already have that you can license, and here's a set of talented AI engineers that have come through our scholarship program that can work with you on top of those tools to build whatever you need. So there's definitely a need for that, and I see a lot of companies using our service accordingly. There's also a trend of more and more AI engineers uh, trying to learn AI tools and the fundamentals to be able to provide solutions to the companies or build products for the company. So I think in general, companies could look in two ways of building AI features into the product. One is be able to use some of the platforms and also for service providers to build on top of those, or they could hire AI team members to build everything from scratch.
0: Right, so it sounds like there's many directions that you can go if you're a non-technical person today. You could learn the code, you could learn the systems, you could hire an organization like Fuse Machines to help you create that solution. And the industry is becoming more these productized services, these service offerings as you, if you will. What well, are some other trends that you're seeing going on in the industry today?
2: There are particular trends on the the, the use of particular kinds of algorithms, I guess. So I've been in machine learning EI for about 20 years, uh, you know, seen ups and downs of many different algorithms being popular and then not being not popular. So, you know, there were times when support vector machines was all the raised Then there was conditional random fields and, you know, XM entropy models neural networks at some point. And then now uh, neural networks have come back in full force with deep learning. So, but one thing that I see is uh, deep learning systems being applied across many different problem sets with enough data is being able to win over most of the other uh, sets of algorithms. So. Uh, one of the trends is more and more people are using uh, deep learning solutions for their problems, be it in computer vision, NLP, or any other kind of prediction.
0: So if, if I'm a consumer and I work in a non-data science, non-AI industry, let's run a quick exercise. I want you to teach me like I'm five. So what, what's the difference between machine learning, ML, artificial intelligence, AI, and deep learning, DL?
2: So I think that's a common question. Uh, So the way I would describe it is, so if you are building a machine that can uh, take data and uh, reason on it and does some sort of decision as a whole, that's an AI. Particularly if the data is related to perception data, such as vision, such as self-driving cars or talking machines like Alexa and whatnot, they are very visible from the perspective of what people think about AI when you know we talk about the phrase artificial intelligence. Most of the AI systems these days are statistical models which essentially driven by data and building uh, statistical models on top of those data to do predictions. And that is primarily governed with uh, machine learning. So uh, in that sense, uh, the foundations of AI are the algorithms. The main sets of algorithms or the foundations that are inside the AI systems, or you call it the brains of the AI systems. Those are all machine learning algorithms, and there are many different kinds of machine learning algorithms. Like I just had mentioned before, you know, maximum entropy models, decision trees, um, and you name it. Right? There's many, many different ways to build prediction models, and one of them uh, that's very popular now is neural nets especially with many, many layers and different types of neural nets that is being used to solve many problems, which is essentially deep learning.
0: That is a great explanation. Like I'm five, although I'm not five. So this is fun. So I really appreciate it. And to have a caveat there. So the term neural networks uh, in, in the deep learning space, it's talked about all the time, but most consumers... Don't know much on this. You know, if I hear neuron, I think the brain. And I've heard some some misfirings about is a neural network really like the human brain or is it something artificial? I mean, can we debunk it once and for all? I mean, how do neurons work? Are they like humans or are they not?
2: You mean neural nets? That's right. Well, I mean, that's a hard question to answer. You know, I'm not from neuroscience. Uh, my wife's a neuroscientist, so she'll probably be able to better answer that.
0: We'll have her on a future podcast.
2: <laughs> but I mean, even though neural nets in the sense is trying to simulate how neurons turn on and turn off, I don't think we as human humans understand how brains work well enough to be able to really be able to say that neural nets replicates how human brain functions i mean neural nets is just essentially a network of nodes connected with edges uh, and you have different probability mass pass through it so i i i'm i'm cautious on being able to try to equate how neural nets work closely with how human brains work because i think we as humans actually have a long ways to go before we actually understand how cognition works uh, in humans itself. Mm,
0: yeah. We see new shows coming out on Netflix, like Altered Carbon and these other futuristic AI shows that are showing cognition and human memory, but it's still maybe yet to be determined. Let's give it another, I don't even know if I want to put a timeline on it, right? Should it be five years, 10 years, 20 years? You know, what does that look like? But um
2: Probably, you know, I, if you, I mean, for a small child, right? Like it, the, the small child can within three years with, I mean, decent amount of data, but not a lot of data. Uh, is able to fully converse uh, with with humans. I mean, I have a four and a half year old daughter, and she understands everything and understands all the context. Be able to make right decisions and be able to talk to you very intelligently. While we are yet to have a machine that can, you know, sit down with you and talk for half an hour. I mean, we are far from it. Right,
0: I know. In twenty eighteen, uh, Amazon had a challenge with universities where uh, it was their Grand Turing test, if you will, of you know, can they break the machine, break this chatbot? Where nope. different universities were tasked to can I make an eight to ten minute chatbot that you know, you as a human could say commands to this Alexa device and keep that dialogue going where it made sense, right? And what I thought what was most fascinating about it, I, I looked at some of these algorithms and the conversations they used and a lot of it was still human trained. There was sentences and scenarios and decisions and rules that all these researchers and the teams were creating. It wasn't like the machine was automatically creating these from the get-go.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think Amazon does this yearly challenge on this. The, the challenges on dialogue systems uh, have been going on for, for many years at this point, before all the AI hype, AI hype, you know, like more than 10 years. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a difficult system to build. And, sure. and right now it's, a lot of dialogue systems are pre-trained on, uh, you know, all the data that's collected from scenarios, like you mentioned. It's not like the the machine is reading five books and starting to converse about it.
0: That would be something. I cannot wait till I can give all the books I read each year to a machine and then they could tell me Book reports and summaries, so I don't have to read anymore. That would be so interesting. But (laughs) oh my goodness, how is that going to help our world? So I digress, but for things that are helping the world, you know, I know in our past conversations, you've talked about some of the exciting projects that Fuse Machines has been a part of. You know, one of them including uh, drones that are delivering uh, medicine and experimental capacities in Nepal and, and other very advanced projects. So, is there some of the research or projects that you're working on today or your teams are working on that you'd like to share with our viewers
2: sure I mean the one of the systems that we were building was Jones as you had mentioned for medical del- medicine delivery in in Nepal in Nepal is very mountainous and you know not enough roads so a lot of people who live on top of the mountains and villages they don't get quick access to medicine so we and build uh, drones for delivering medicine. We are also working on various language recognition systems, speech recognition systems for other languages. And we are doing a lot of advanced research on building dialogue systems and question answering systems.
0: Sure. And on the languages, so, you know, most of us around the world take a second language. You know, for me, my second language I was learning in high school and college was Spanish. And then I picked up a little bit of uh, French and some Mandarin. You know, I'm dabbling in different languages. But, you know, I, I think as a human, one of the challenges is it takes so much discipline and commitment to pick up languages and is it worth the effort so maybe a question i have for you is is how good is that technology happening here for recognizing speech in real time or or translating that in conversations
2: yeah i mean i actually worked on the speech to speech translation for almost 5 years at IBM Watson the research center before it's a hard problem but it has come a long ways and these days speech to systems work quite well, at least in a non-noisy environment and with single speakers and uh, machine translation is starting to work pretty decently as well. So there are speech-to-speech translation systems on your phones that can let you get by when you travel to a different country. I think there's still not a full system that could translate as good as humans, but some of these uh, translation apps at least allows you to travel to a country where you may not, where the country's main language may not be uh, English.
0: Right. So if, if I'm a high school student or college student today, should I just give up on learning a second language? Should I be like, oh, the technology is going to catch up. So,
2: you know, I don't need to learn Spanish. Why don't I just... <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Think, no, I don't think so. I, I don't think it's going to catch up fast enough. Uh, such that it would make language learning a foreign language redundant in even next five ten years. So if you're listening right now, maybe if you're listening in 20 years from now, maybe it would be a different answer. But at the mo- current moment in history, I think uh, you would still get a lot out of learning a second language or third language.
0: Right. And so I guess to take that even further to jobs and the future of work and how industries are changing, uh, you know, a lot of uh, diplomats work in uh, being foreign translators and and so forth. And there's companies that do transcription and language translation. So, you know, since you've done a lot of work in the speech recognition space, is there any new breakthroughs that you're seeing that maybe consumers could expect in the next couple of years to uh, hit the market?
2: I think the language translation systems, uh, switch to switch translation system, I mean, it is continuously improving. I don't think there will be like an aha moment where it suddenly starts to translate everything perfectly tomorrow, but it is work in progress and it is improving quite rapidly.
0: And that continuous improvement that we could think about is for those of us who've owned uh, Android or Apple devices, you can think back to when you owned the device in 2008 and how good was the audio for doing tasks versus 2012 versus 2015 versus 2018 versus today. And that even though, you know, Apple and Google and these companies don't tell us, it's improving. Every time there's a software update, perhaps some of that is this improved speech.
2: Yeah, it is. And there's so much data that uh, some of these companies have collected, right? With all the Alexa, Siri, and Google Home devices all over the world, everybody talking to it all the time. You could imagine the amount of data that is being collected that could potentially improve the system more and more as the years go by.
0: So what I'm hearing from our conversation today is it sounds like humans and machines are going to more work together. That, yes, technology is changing, it's more gradual over time, and it could augment human capabilities. But the question would be if I'm starting to learn today, what's right? Should I be getting this college degree? Should I go through a boot camp? You know, I'll do Fuse AI and just jump into the workforce. Or currently, I'm working today. I mean, how concerned should I be about my jobs?
2: I think some jobs would be automated. That's just gonna happen the more if if somebody's doing a very repetitive task every day, then you should worry a little bit i guess on if that repetition could be automated by machines. but there are also a lot of other tasks that's gonna take quite a while before machines can you know automate. I think a lot of people at least should think about. If they should at least learn some level of AI, machine learning and computer science technologies as computer science seeps into all different industries and verticals and business applications. And now on top of computer science, the AI layer is also being added to automate more stuff. So people should, I think, think about how they should get more familiar with the new technologies on a computer science and particularly AI, but, and some should also think about if their jobs could be automated, but I don't think everybody should just get scared that their job's going to get replaced tomorrow
0: a little too much hype, right? It's a little overblown, but I mean, classic case we could look at for example is the new uh, Amazon Go technology which is creating cashierless stores, you know, there was one launched in Seattle, Washington, there's one being launched in Manhattan in New York State and The goal is that, well, there's going to be just-in-time inventory and a store manager or two or maybe a clerk, but you can just pick up and go. So you know th- these are individuals right who who is your standard cashier right we'd have to profile that person and and see how to transition them um, but then the next question is okay well if it's going to be automation how can you too be part of the automation can you build the next ai startup why wait why not be part of that bridging that gap
2: yeah exactly hmm.
0: and moving forward being someone who's very involved in applications and research in the industry. What are you seeing as any of the, the new breakthroughs or something that's on your radar that you think is a really interesting technology that over the next couple of years, it's it's kind of like the underdog or being underrated right now, but you think people should pay attention to?
2: There's a lot of uh, computer vision algorithms that are making a lot of strides on what it can do. And you could find some of these things. Uh, the machine learning conferences like ICML and NIMS and whatnot. But one of the things that I think could be transformational, and it's not necessarily an underdog, but it gets talked about quite a bit, is self-driving cars. Uh, from the perspective of the impact of AI, I think it's becoming more and more real. And when we have more and a lot of self-driving cars on the road, it would be transformational for how we how we travel. And that's one of the things that I'm quite excited about from the perspective of impact of AI on our lives.
0: So that's a signal uh, to our viewers that Samir's looking forward to in the next couple of years. And I- I'm looking forward to seeing self-driving vehicles in New York City. I think it would be so interesting to hail a self-driving Uber or Lyft and it should be such a different dynamic. Like I, I can't even imagine yet today, like what would it be like? Like there's no human. Would there be more space in the vehicle? Could I conduct meetings? I mean, it's going to be a whole different type of dynamic, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, it's exciting to think about that future.
0: And, you know, that future is becoming reality. Self-driving cars are being piloted on the road in several states in California and Arizona and Pennsylvania. And depending on legislation and many factors, more will happen uh, in 2019 and beyond. You know, thinking of, Beyond and future predictions, everyone has something that they believe in that others don't. It's being contrarian, against the grain. You know, I think this is something that is I think is true in AI, but most people don't. Is there something that you've looked at and explored, and you know, you also think you know people should be considering this because if not, it could become more important over time.
2: The question is: Is there anything that I believe that could be potentially uh, game changing, but a lot of people haven't thought about, or it's the other way.
0: Yeah, it could be. Yeah, do you have a moonshot idea? Don't don't give me your billion dollar ID. I don't wanna <laughs> don't wanna hear. Don't wanna let the cat out of the bag here today. But yeah, anything contrarian, you know, that uh, you think. Other people would not agree with you, or it might be split, right? Like half the half the AI world says this, half say that, and you're on one of those fences.
2: I guess what I would have to say is the usefulness of uh, chatbots at the current form. I think a lot of people do say that you know chatbots gonna transform how, for example, customer service could be served and whatnot. I think there's too much hype. Uh, Like I said, dialogue systems are extremely hard to build. We still don't have systems that can really understand human from the level of being able to just converse and understand everything. I would say though some limited versions of chatbots are useful for reducing the customer service load, it is overhyped and it's not at a point where chatbots can completely replace uh, all the customer service reps.
0: Yeah, I would agree as well. I mean, we're we're even seeing, you know, this year at CES 2019, there are now examples of video chatbots that, you know, are having decent dialogues, but the question is when can a bank teller be replaced? When can a customer service agent on the phone for your utility company be replaced? And we're not there yet and maybe maybe we never will be maybe it will just be an aug- augmented report right the chatbot facilitates gathers the information does 80% of the process and then the human comes in for those advanced queries to help solve more efficiently yeah. your problem yeah Definitely very interesting, and only time will tell. And uh, I'm excited to see the changes in chatbots. You know, uh, again, we've talked so far in, in today's episode about how Amazon's done work there. Uh, even um, IBM's done a lot of work there with Watson and their new data platform. Uh, it's very exciting to see the neural networks and and the software there. There's so many entrants in the space of AI today. Um, You know, one of our other episodes, we've featured the founder of welcome AI talking about how just the industry is growing so fast and is it going to continue? I mean, we're, we're in 2019 now and there's a lot of growth. Uh, Some economic experts are calling for a slowdown for certain segments of the economy. My question, which I've been thinking about a lot recently is Is that impacting tech or are we isolated? Are we living in our own bubble?
2: That's a hard question to answer. I mean, if there's a global slowdown on the economy, I think it will obviously translate into a slowdown on the total number of investments that will go into AI-related businesses and efforts. So there will probably be a little bit of slowdown on AI as well. But if the, the global economy keeps trending in the way it's trending and keeps growing, then probably AI will keep pace with it or actually outpace it on the at least on the growth year over growth percentages. Now uh, there's been tremendous growth over the last couple of years. There's been a lot of hype. But you should remember, you know, the concept of AI winter does exist. It has been at least twice before when AI was in a lot of hype and it did not deliver what it promised to deliver and then, you know, the funding dried up. And it's probably a little different because there's you know, a lot of data, the algorithms seem to be able to do well in many different tasks. And the compute power is also at a point where you can crunch a lot of data. So maybe we do not come into the same kind of AI winter. But if the global economy slows down, I'm pretty sure the level of investments in AI will also slow down a little bit.
0: And of course, this is all hypothetical. So for our consumers, depending on when you're watching uh, and listening to this podcast, we'll see how those predictions do hold true or not. You know, I think what's interesting and, and one of our key takeaways is that AI can be applied anywhere to any team on any country that you're at and that Just having one or two individuals in your organization that know this technology can change the course of your company and potentially your local economy and it sounds like Fuse AI is is part of that dialogue there'll be thousands of individuals over the next uh, couple of years going through the program helping democratize that process you know what does it mean to you Samira to be part of that dialogue where you are having an impact on countries all over the world
2: it's uh We are humbled by it, and we are glad to be in this juncture of being able to contribute in this transformation that AI is bringing to many different businesses, industries, and countries. And we are excited about it to play a small part into this transformation on being able to bring about AI talent in all these different places where it could have its own significant impact uh, locally uh, all over the world?
0: You know, you're playing a small part, but it's a critical part. It's a critical part to bridge the gap between humans and machines in this age of acceleration. And before we know it, there will be dare I say, hundreds of thousands or millions of AI practitioners who will be working together to solve some of the biggest challenges as humans that we're facing, which will create brand new industries and, you know, augment our daily life and and the relationships and interactions we have with technology. Yeah, what an exciting time this is.
2: It is, it is.
0: Fantastic. Well, again, this has been the Humane podcast here with Samir from Fuse Machines. Thanks for tuning in this time. And we'll catch you on another episode where we'll bridge the gap between humans and machines. Thank you, Samir.
2: Thank you, David. That's
0: it for this episode of Humane. I'm David Jacobovich. And if you enjoyed the show, Don't forget to click subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to this. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you in the next one. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things
2: differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine,